how long will you go on limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow Him. These words could be asked in any generation of the church, right? In any generation of God's people. But they were actually spoken by maybe the truest prophet there ever lived, and his name was Elijah. He spoke those words to the family of God, the Israelites, the children of God, at that cosmic showdown on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and him alone. And what he was about to do was he was about to authenticate the power and the reality of God, the Lord God Jehovah, against the fake, farce religion of the prophets of Baal. But why? Why would... Why would Elijah have to speak this way to the people of God? Didn't they know that God was the true God and that they should follow Him? Why did this cosmic showdown even have to take place? Well, the reason is, and you know the testimony, you know the story well, right? Is that during that time in Israel, there was a shift in the cultural winds, if you would remember. As you knew, the kings were progressively getting a little worse in terms of their morality and their leadership. And then one king finally took the throne. His name was Ahab, and he was wicked. He was worse than all the others. And he married a sorceress, a uh, murderous woman named Jezebel. And together they started permitting the worship of Baal and actually establishing the worship of Baal in Israel. And this was kind of accommodating to the cultural norms of their day. You know, the, all the other nations had many gods and all their neighbors had gods and all the Baal worship was really fun too. It involved a great amount of license and sorcery and looking to the stars and witchcraft and sexual immorality. And it was, it was uh, quite the party. And Israel started sliding into that Baal worship as well. And you know, what should have happened was that Israel's prophets, Israel's pastors, Israel's shepherds would come in and say what, you know? They should have said, hey Israel, stop that. Stop it right now. Repent of your sin. God will cleanse you. Cleanse the temple. God will have you back. If you repent and seek Him, He will receive you again. But that's not what the prophets did, actually. The prophets of Israel did what? Do you know? They gave smooth talk. And flattering talk. And they said, Israel, Baal worship isn't that bad. God really isn't taking it all that seriously that you should be so devoted to Him. A little temple prostitution, a little idolatry, that's not that big a deal. God wouldn't really punish you for those things. After all, I mean, there are, these people are our neighbors. Shouldn't we accommodate them? We don't want to be looked at as narrow-minded or proud in the eyes of our neighbors. 
And by the multitudes, the prophets just coaxed the idolatry of Israel. And they never said, Israel, if you don't turn, God's patience will run out and he will destroy you. And so God actually did send true prophets that said, turn, repent, return to the Lord. Prophets like Elijah and Elisha and Hosea and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But you know what had happened by that time when you have enough false prophets telling you it's no big deal. When the true prophets come and tell the truth, it doesn't sound all that great, doesn't it? Does it? In fact, Israel hated the true prophets and killed the true prophets. And it is always the case in every generation of the people of God that there will be prophets, false prophets, false Christs, false apostles, false pastors, false Christians who are trying to say that the narrow way that leads to life doesn't really need to be all that narrow, y'all. In fact, the broad way isn't so bad. The Broadway that leads to destruction, I mean, look at its proof. There are so many people on it. It can't really be that bad, is it? But it is. And Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, that there is a narrow way that leads to life. It's a hard path. And when you make that decision to enter in through the narrow gate and walk the hard path, there is going to be prophet after prophet after prophet, religious phony after spiritual crony after religious phony that will tell you that this way is too hard and it doesn't have to be this way. You can go right on over to the easy path. You can go right on over to the path that leads to destruction. There aren't any real consequences. Do you know this? Do you know this? You see, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has been establishing uh, the true religion that God accepts under heaven. He's been establishing His kingdom on earth. And He says, for you to walk into this kingdom, there are certain values, there is a certain way you have to be. You have to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, who can attain to that standard? No one. And so what actually Jesus is proving is that the religion of the narrow way, the religion of the kingdom of God is all based on divine accomplishment, what God alone can do in you and through you. And you have to receive it by faith and trust in his grace. This is the narrow way that leads to life. It's the way that says, I can't, I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. I need to be poor in spirit and mourning over my sin and living out the Beatitudes and trusting God for His grace because He alone can bring me into His kingdom. That's the narrow way. And then when you're on that narrow way, it's a life of giving yourselves wholly to the service of God and to, and, and to love, for your man, love for your fellow neighbor. To seek the Father's rewards only. And that is the narrow way that leads to life. But the way that leads to death, the way that leads to destruction, is the, way of, is the religion of man's achievement. The religion that says, I'm fine. 
I'm fine, preacher. I'm fine, Jesus. I know you're preaching this great Sermon on the Mount, but come on, I can do it on my own. I can get to God on my own. I can, you know, I'm fine. You don't have to call out my sins. You don't have to bring up the trouble that's keeping me out of the kingdom of God. I've got it. I've got it. I'll handle it. I'll take care of it. I'll invent my own path, right? And guess what? For every one preacher who, for every one Jesus, there is only one, but for every one preacher who will tell you to turn aside from the hard, from the, from the path that leads to destruction and, and come in through the narrow gate which is Christ and walk in His righteousness, there are thousands of false prophets who will tell you, you don't have to do that. You're good. You don't have to become so narrow. Well, who are these who are these false prophets? Who are these, who are these people? Well, the first thing you could say is it's the scribes and the Pharisees, the champions of, of uh, human religion. Who are the ones who try and widen the gate and make the hard path easy? I love what um, John Wesley said when asked this question, who does this? Who actually would try and make the narrow way wider? He says this. It's kind of a long quote, but listen, it's serious. He says, we answer 10,000 wise and honorable men. Included in these numbers are some from every denomination. These encourage the proud, the trifler, the passionate, the lover of the world, the man of pleasure, the unjust or unkind, the easy, the careless, the harmless, the useless, the man who accepts no suffering for righteousness' sake. To imagine he is on the way to heaven. These are the false prophets. They are traitors to both God and man. They are none other than the firstborn of Satan. These are far above the ranks of ordinary cutthroats. They murder the souls of men. They are continually peopling the realms of hell, is what Wesley said. So false prophecy is serious. False prophecy is serious. And in case you're wondering, is Jesus talking about those who would make those crazy predictions? Like, you know, every, every few years there's someone who makes a prediction like Jesus is going to come back on May 11th, 2023, right? And then they get it wrong, right? Is that just what Jesus is talking about? Those who would, those who would get it wrong, the end times? No. False prophecy has two, or prophecy has two elements to it. There is the future telling element, but there is just a general term. Prophecy means preaching that comes from God and is the word of God. That's really all prophecy is. It's preaching, it's preaching uh, messengers from God that preach the word of God. And people will, people will come in and try and make the wider way We'll try and make the narrow way wider. And listen, there's not much Jesus says to be aware of in the Gospels or beware of. He teaches clearly, but in the Gospels in the New Testament, there's very few warnings like this. He says, beware of the false prophets. Why is this? Why is this? Because isn't it true that religious phonies are the worst kind of phonies? Isn't it true that that False prophecy and false religion is actually harmful to people. And if this is 
And if these words are words that the Son of God spoke, then, then give your greatest attention to them because this is what Jesus is saying. is after He presents to you the way that leads to life and the way that leads to righteousness, the very first thing, the very immediate and present danger is this. Someone will tell you otherwise. Someone is going to try and lead you astray. Someone is out to ruin your soul in hell forever. So that's the main thing. Here's the main thing, and I have it typed up for you just this way. False prophets, beware! Beware of the false prophets. Beware. Be weary. False prophets are no easy thing to consider. You must give your attention to them. And give your attention to them in the right way. In the right way. In the concerned way. So I have a few truths about false prophets. And it's really from Matthew 7. Just from the first verse here. Matthew seven fifteen. And I just want to tell you this church. This is, a, this is one of the more incredible things that I think our Savior could have uttered to you. And just as I preach this to you, it's almost like all the fingers get pointed back to me, right? Because now you have to be concerned, and it's right. You should be righteously skeptic of those who would lead you spiritually. You must be. Your soul is at stake here. And it's the great, and it is true, and I have no, make no apology for saying this, that when God ransomed his church and when he purchased the souls of the redeemed with the blood of his own sons, he, with his own son, excuse me, Jesus Christ, and he looked upon that church and he decided, how shall I prepare them for the heaven that awaits them? How shall I lead them in the narrow way? How should I help them grow in Christ? You know what God said he would give to his church that would be of utmost importance for your spiritual good? Do you know what he did? He gave you pastors. He said one of the greatest gifts, and I say this as part of my own testimony because I've been shepherded well by some great and godly men. One of the greatest gifts to your soul is a man who would lead you to God and hold you to His Word. <laughs> and you know what Satan did? He looked upon all those souls that God had redeemed with the blood of God's own Son. And he said, you know what the greatest thing I could give to my kingdom of darkness would be? A pastor. A false preacher. A false teacher. And so you see, you see the danger. You see what's at stake when Jesus says, beware of false prophets because they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Can you think of a more serious statement than that? Beware of the false prophets. So four truths about false prophets coming right out of this, this verse here, verse 15. Number one, false prophets are hypnotic. Hypnotic. Hip, hypnotism, you guys have all um, heard the word. Maybe you've even done some sort of hypnosis, of psychotherapy or something like that. 
Hypnosis is uh, a Greek word. It, it comes from two Greek words. Hip, which means under, and gnosis, which means knowledge. To go under knowledge. Maybe you get underneath your own knowledge. Maybe you get under the knowledge of someone else. It's to kind of get under the sway of some knowledge. And the reason I bring this up is because of the first word that Jesus mentions, and it's the word beware. Beware is a word that means keep your mind away from. It means keep your mind outside of the influence of. Don't go the way of the sway of the false prophets. Well, why do I bring this up? Is, why I bring this up is because false prophets are really good at what they do. They're hypnotic. They work. They work. Now, some false prophets don't work. You can see them coming from a mile away, and you think, how could anyone possibly be duped by that? You know, you hear about these TV preachers who say, hey, I'm here to tell you I need money to purchase my $60 million private jet. And if you fund my private jet, guess what the Lord will heap upon you? Financial blessing upon financial blessing upon... And you think, how do people believe that? But even their sway works sometimes. But false prophets are hypnotic. They're deceivers. Listen to what Jeremiah 5 verse 31 says, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so. My people love it, but what will you do when the end comes? Listen to Romans 16, 17 through 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Smooth talk and flattery. Smooth talk and flattery sounds really nice, right? You can always find someone who's going to agree with you, right? You can, I can walk, I could walk among the congregation right now. I could say, you know, what's your problem, Betty? And Betty's going to say, this man right here is my problem. It's all his fault. I'm grumpy. Touch her on the shoulder. You poor thing. You're right to be mad. You're right to be angry right there. You go to the next person. What's your problem? What's your problem, Chloe? My teacher just hates my guts and never lets me have a good grade or whatever. Oh, you poor thing. You poor thing, right? I, Chloe's homeschooled, so it, you know, it's not true. But I'm saying I could walk down the aisle and find everything that's plaguing you and say, oh, that's not your issue. That's not your fault. That's not your problem. That's someone else's problem. Poo-poo on them. You should not feel bad about your issues. You shouldn't have to forgive. You shouldn't have to move on. You shouldn't have to love. You have every right to remain just in the sin that you're in. It works, right? People love to be coaxed. People love when they go to counseling. They love to be told... It's the other person's fault. It's the other person's issue. It's the circumstances of life. And there is always that element. But the true prophet of the Lord is going to say, listen, listen, your sins separate you from God. 
that you have to be humble and contrite and call out to God in all things, and you present your feelings to God, and you present your heart, and you present your bitterness to God, and, and trust Him to forgive you. Yes, there are real issues, but smooth talk and flattery works. It works. It always keeps people on the wide way. You don't want to give up that immorality. Don't worry about it. God, God knows the times we're in. God knows the culture we're in. It works. It's deceiving. It's hypnotic. Smooth talk always works. Flatterers are deceptive. But also the reason, one of the reasons we have to understand that false prophets are hypnotic is this. It's that um, your mind, your inward man, your inward person is not a neutral ground. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not a neutral battleground where if, you know, you say, um, I'm going to stop focusing on Christ or his word, then something else that's kind of pleasant is going to take the place of leadership in your life. There is always a battleground for your mind, always a sway, always a charm at work. For example, Go back to the very beginning of time when God placed His first children in the garden and He gave them the path that would keep them immortal and in the right relationship with Him. (laughs) Do you know how long it took before someone was battling to influence their minds? How long? Not long. It was Satan there saying, Did God really say? Did God really say? Is He really that serious about death that comes as a result of sin. He was. He is. And we have to understand that our minds are not neutral. The the moment we, we retire, the moment we resign from following or pursuing Christ or giving our attention to His Word or His promises or His commandments, guess what? False prophecy. False religion wants to vie for that seat of leadership. And it works. It works. Know this, people. Know this. You are not neutral. You're not neutral. There is a great battle for your inward self, your inward man. False prophets are hypnotic. Number two, false prophets are happening right now. They are happening right now. If you... uh, if you read verse 15, this is, this is an amazing verse because it says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Those two verbs are in the present and active tense. They come. They're right now. You know, as Jesus was on that hillside preaching this incredible sermon on the mount to those in Galilee, crowds were gathering. And the very people, the very religion that he, was, that he was condemning, the religion of the scribes and the Pharisees, you know what? As soon as this sermon was over, the Pharisees were right there to gather up those people and say, Jesus, Jesus didn't really mean that. He's just a carpenter's son. He's just, he's just a, you know, he's kind of a, a false prophet. He's actually governed by demons. The Pharisees were right there. Right there as Jesus was preaching, ready to end his sermon, ready for those people to say amen and then go out to their normal lives. They're happening right now. And you would think, 
you would think, well, how about today? This seems kind of crazy. I mean, Christianity has been around for 2,000 years. I mean, everybody has at least 10 Bibles to their name. We have churches on every corner. We have seminaries and pastors and all sorts of Christian fervor these days. Surely, there can't be that many false prophets awaiting us. Or that many false prophets who are around. How could that be the case? (laughs) Do you know that for every one true prophet I've already mentioned, there are thousands of false ones? For every one for every one truth that's offered, there are thousands of degrees for which that truth could be perverted. There were false prophets in the day of Noah. There were false prophets in the day of Moses. There were false prophets in the day of the judges. and Dave, False prophets in David's day. False prophets in Solomon's day. False prophets in every age. There were false prophets in Jesus' day. There were false prophets... In the first century, there were false prophets in the second century. There were false prophets within the first generation of the church that were already going around saying that Jesus was not the Son of God. He was a a creation. He was a manifestation. He was a ghost. Augustine fought the false prophets prophets of uh, Pelagianism when when the Pelagianists would say, uh, would say, "You you can get to Christ. You only have to be perfect enough. You don't need the grace of God. There were false prophets um, as the Catholic Church started to to, uh, gain tons and tons of wealth. As they started selling indulgences, people would say, this is your ticket to heaven. You purchase an indulgence. In Luther's day, there were false prophets in the Roman uh, magistrate and the Catholic Church. And there were false prophets in the Peasants' Rebellion when when people would rise up and say, we're the new Elijahs and the new... Christian era. We're the new kingdom of God. There were false prophets in Wesley's day. There were false prophets in the 1800s as the Age of Enlightenment came and and started to criticize the Word of God. There were false prophets in the 1900s, you know, with the rise of Jehovah's Witness and the rise of Mormonism. And today, there's false prophets everywhere. There's a movement right now happening called the uh, New Apostolic Reformation. It's uh, among the younger people, it seems like, of, of the Christian faith. And they've, they're believing that this is the time of the end. And God has given new apostles and new revelations to His church. And it's time to start writing new scriptures and seeing new visions so that the kingdom of God would be established on the earth and we would reign as his people forever. And it sounds so close to the truth, but it's not even the truth. Listen to what 2 Peter 2, 1 through 2 says. False prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you, who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, brought, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. Jude, verse 4, says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. False prophets happen now. Right available, always. 
Number three, false prophets are hard to detect. They're hard to detect. Look at what it says. It says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, this is kind of a, it might seem a little cartoonish as you think of a a prophet wearing sheep's clothing, right? Or a wolf wearing the skins of a sheep. This is, don't think of it like this. Think of it, don't think of it like that. Think of it like this, that Jesus is saying false prophets come to you like shepherds. They come to you wearing the shepherd's garb. They come to you wearing, wearing the mantle of Christian leadership and pastoral ministry. They come to you like you should be listening to them because they've been in the counsel of the Lord and they have a word from the Lord for you. They have an appearance sometimes of brilliance even. And an appearance even of harmlessness. But they are ravenous wolves. Friends, I I tell you this just of my own testimony. When I was... um, when I was younger in college, I was trying to gird up my faith and fortify the foundations of my beliefs, and I really fell into, um, I didn't say f- fall, I went after it because I came across an apologist, uh, apologist is one who defends the faith. I came across an amazing evangelist, this great preacher who had a worldwide ministry. His name was Ravi Zacharias, have you ever heard of him? It's an incredible speaker. And I would, I would listen to him as he would preach on the purpose of God in, in human suffering, as he would champion the truth of Christianity over and against all the worldviews of the world. And he was so clear and so good at what he said and did. Even convicting. He was amazing. And on the day that He died, or right after he died, there was an amazing funeral service for his honor. And people from all walks of of the Christian faith and Christian leadership came. Mike Pence, Tim Tebow, um, Christian hip-hop artists. It It was a spectacle, his funeral. But you know what happened? The very next day, after his funeral, news story after news story after news story broke. Documentation after documentation after documentation broke out that showed that Ravi Zacharias was a serial adulterer taking advantage of women sexually and silencing them for years. And you think, how could, how could this possibly be the case? How could a man who was so brilliant, who preached with so much conviction, who had such a stage, who had such a receiving in the eyes of so many people. How could he be so wolfish? Listen to what 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13 through 15 says. Such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Brothers and sisters, do you see that there is no end to the appetite of a false prophet? 
It is wickedness. They are hard to detect. And as Jesus explains in this passage, there is a way to detect them. But it takes attention. It takes care. It takes concern. We'll get to that in just a moment. But finally, false prophets are harmful and hungry. False prophets are harmful and they are hungry. You could say they are hungry, and because they are hungry, they are harmful. In 2 Peter verse 2, you have maybe the most clear depiction of the false prophets that come against the New Testament church. And it says that the reason that they are in it, the reason false prophets do what they do is for three things. They're out to get three things. One of three things, or all of these three things. It's either sexual license, they want to get sexual favors and sexual license, they want to get money or, the, or some sort of financial empire, or, or they simply want a huge following. A huge following. And you know what a huge following is, you know what the fruit of a huge following is when it comes to the church. Whenever you follow after one man or one man's personality or a church becomes personality driven, the big fruit of that is division, right? Isn't it division in the church? Isn't it factions? That's what happens. And so false prophets are harmful, but they are hungry for this harm. They are hungry. Listen to what Paul said in Acts 20, verses 29 through 31. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock and from your own selves. Excuse me. Will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul says it to the elders of the church. From your own selves, people will speak twisted things. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 through 5. He says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. And here's the produce. Envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. You see, these false prophets are trying to gain something for themselves. And they are hungry for controversy, hungry for division. Hoping that whatever the fallout is, they will be able to scoop up those who are disenchanted and lead them astray. Do you see why Jesus said these words? Do you see the danger of the false prophet? And listen, I've mentioned to you a lot of Scripture, and I was telling my wife this this week. I said, I don't know how I'm going to get to the bottom of all this. Because from the very first page of Scripture to the very last page of Scripture, over and over, there is, there is God encouraging His people of the, of the description, of the definition, of the danger, and the destination of false prophets and what will happen if you follow them. There is no end to the amount of material you can find about false prophecy and false religion. 
And Jesus says, on your way, on the narrow way, the first thing you need to be looking out for is false prophets. False prophets. So as I close, I want to give you just four observations, four applications, four encouragements to help you to help you defend yourself against the false prophet. Number one is prepare your mind. First Peter one through First uh, Peter one verse thirteen. In it, Peter wrote, "Prepare your minds for action." Maybe if you have the uh, King James version, it says something like, "Gird up the loins of your mind." Now that's a funny way of speaking, isn't it? And that's what it literally says in the original language. Gird up the loins of your mind. What does that mean? Prepare for battle. Fortify yourself. Arm yourself. Get ready. You need to be thinking of the full armor of God that you need to dress yourself in every day. Prepare your mind for battle. Be alert. How do you do that? Number two, you test every spirit. Test every spirit. 1 John 4, 1-3 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming now and is in the world already. Do you see what John is saying? He's saying that the, the, this is how you measure. He's like, you test the spirits and this is how you do it. Whenever you hear preaching, you need to have this rubric, right? You, you guys, maybe some of you in education, you know that when you give a test, you have an answer key. And, people, and, and your students provide you with their answers and you measure it against the answer key. Well, John says, John the Apostle tells his church, you have an answer key. It's the doctrine of Christ. Is Christ truly God and man? This explains everything. If people are coming to dupe you, they're going to say something against this in some way. Say, well, how does that make sense? How does that make sense? Well, the doctrine that teaches that God or that Christ is truly God and man is the doctrine of everything. This is the doctrine that says God loves you. Why? Because God sent His only Son into the world. Right? So that you might live through Him. But it's also the doctrine that says God is just and He will punish sin. Because He sent God, His Son, he sent, because He sent His Son into the world. Right? And Jesus died on the cross. Why? To pay the penalty for your sins. This means that those who would tell you it's all love and no justice or it's all good things and no wrath, these people are deceiving you. They're not preaching the full counsel of God. Christ coming in the flesh is the standard by which we know we're saved. Did Jesus come into the world? It's the standard by which, we're know the, by which we know we're the church. It's the standard by which we preach the gospel. Is that Jesus Christ came and He laid down His life. And He died. God died for your sins. And everyone who confesses that Jesus is not from God, or that He's only a man, or that, he's, or that He was never a man, this is the spirit of the Antichrist.
So we test every spirit. Number three in application is observe their fruit. Matthew 17, 7 verse 16 says, you know a tree by its fruit. Um, in uh, verse 20, it says, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Well, what's the fruit of a false prophet? Now, as I mentioned, there's a number of, there's a number of different kinds of false prophets, right? You have those outright apostate, heretical preachers that you can see coming from a mile away. But Jesus in, Jesus in this passage isn't necessarily talking about those false prophets. He's talking about those who have a certain kind of fruit. It's the fruit of their preaching that is, the narrow way isn't that narrow. It is the way that leads to, to God isn't that difficult. And their lives demonstrate it. Their lives demonstrate it. You see, you can observe a false prophet by what they say, but also the truth is you can observe a false prophet by the things they don't say. By the things they don't say. It is so common today for people to make a mass industry of ministry teaching people only and ever about the love of God. Right? It's all love. It's only love. You know, you come here and we'll, we'll say that it's, that it's just about God and His love. But the second, right? But the second that their, their followers, their converts, hear things like repentance, hear things like your sin is ever before you, hear things like God is justly coming to punish all unrighteousness on a day that He has ordained, they automatically start to have almost a visceral reaction. No way! That can't be true. I don't want to think about those things. I don't want to think about repentance or sin or holiness. I want to think about great things. I want to think about, I want to think about miraculous things. You know, people, sometimes this is an interesting thing I've found as a pastor. Sometimes I meet people and I talk about religion and spirituality. And I'll ask people, what is your, what, what's going on with you spiritually? Tell me about your life with God. And you know what people will say? They'll say some of the most incredible things. They'll say, you know what, I go to a church and I get prophesied over. And, I've, and I'm waiting an anointing. And I'm waiting some sort of vision. And I've, I'm, waiting some, I'm waiting for some sort of miracle. And people will talk about the signs that they've always received or they've been receiving or that they're praying for to receive. I've had people talk about their dogs getting baptized. I've had people talk about all sorts of seeing angels and knowing spirits and all these things. And, and, and people are happy to talk about these things. And I'm just like, do you know how much the Bible speaks of everything you're speaking about? Zero. Whatever Christianity that you're bringing to my attention, that is not at all what you find in the Sermon on the Mount. Pastors and prophets have somehow said this is what is true Christianity. And they've forgotten what Jesus said. What is it? Go back to the Beatitudes. Are you poor in spirit? Are you mourning over your sin? Are you meek? Are you hungering and thirsting after the righteousness of God? Are you pure in heart? 
That is the true religion. Talk about that. Talk about how, talk about how Christ is coming to your life to cleanse you of the unrighteousness. Not about fiction and fairy tales and visions. The fruit of false prophecy rarely deals with the sin, the trouble with a man or a woman. It's all other things. But it's also the fruit of how they live. False prophets live on the, narrow, on the wide way. Maybe you can't see it now, but you give it time. You observe their fruit. Their fruit comes to fruition. And you see these, these men, these prof, false prophets are people who love the world. They love the things of the world. They love, they love flattery. They love the gadgets of this world. They love to fill their homes and their driveways with everything the world loves to fill their homes and driveways with. They put their trust in the things of this world. Observe their fruit. Give it time. Finally, as I close out, the last thing, the last encouragement is to know the gospel. Just know the gospel, people. Know the gospel. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, sorry, I think in your outlines it says 2 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, Paul wrote, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In the power of God. Do you know Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Do you know the Gospel? Do you know this great message? Do you share in it with others? Is this the message that you are feeding yourself? If you do, you will be on guard. You will beware of those things that would come against you and try and lead you off of the, the narrow way. Brothers and sisters, I close by bringing to you probably the worst and most heinous example of false prophecy in the history of the world. And it's one that you might not think, but as I tried to rack my brain about what was the worst false prophecy that was ever uttered in the world, it came by someone who was actually very close to Jesus. And it was this, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. What Jesus was saying, y'all, is this. That I am here to bring eternal life. And there's only one way that I can bring that. There's only one way that I can afford that unto the world. And that's if I go to Jerusalem and I suffer and I die. That's the only way that God's people will be redeemed. And you know what? Someone spoke up. False prophet spoke up. Do you know who it was? It's Peter. He turned Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Right? That's too hard, Jesus. No way that's the way that leads to life. No way that is the way that brings people into an everlasting relationship with God. 
No way that the way of the cross is the way that leads home. But you know what Jesus said? But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Brothers and sisters, that's an incredible, incredible witness. But the truth of it is, and it's the great reality, is that Peter learned his lesson, did he not? He learned that lesson. Because actually, after Jesus was resurrected, he turned it back on Peter. And he said, Peter, it's your turn to walk the narrow way. It's your turn to walk in my footsteps of suffering and in my footsteps of pain and in my footsteps of martyrdom even. And he told Peter, there's coming a day in your service to me where people are going to dress you like you don't want to be dressed. And they're going to hang you up in a way that you don't want to be hung up. And Jesus said this to demonstrate what kind of death Peter would die. And you know what he said to Peter? You follow me. And that's what Peter did. But it is the reality, is it not? That those who would say, that's not the way. Giving yourself over into the hands of God. Clinging to the cross. Believing in His life. Repenting of your sins. Taking up your cross and denying yourself and following Him daily. That can't be the way that leads to everlasting life. You know what we ought to say? Get behind me, you devil. Get behind me, you Satan. I know my Lord, and He knows me. And I will follow in the footsteps of Christ, no matter the cost. Because He died, and He gave His life, once and for all, that whoever might come through Him, who might follow Him through that narrow gate, may enter into the gates of splendor. And may live with God on high forever. So do not believe the false prophets. Beware of those who come to you in sheep's clothing. Cling to those who magnify Christ. And who make a big deal about God. And who are okay with humiliating you in your sins. If only that it would produce in you a yearning for God and His righteousness so that you may call out to Him and say, God, not I, but through Christ in me will I live and through Christ alone. And that is it. Will you believe those people? Do not believe the false prophets. Amen.